Right, hello and welcome back to The Skinny Skinny. It's the podcast from the team behind The Skinny Magazine. It's just the three of us this week. It's me, Peter Simpson, with Jamie Dunn. Hello. And Annie Barrows. Hi. Uh, Lewis Robertson is under the weather, so get well, Lewis. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. miss you, Lewis. Although there's a lot more space without you. There so. is actually quite a, lot more, quite a lot more space in the studio. We are in the very, it turns out, very spacious. We don't completely fill it with people. Uh, <laughs> upload studios in Leith, uh, talking about the films. So we're going to be talking about Broker, the new one from Hirokazu Koreada. We're going to be talking about mockumentaries. They're good fun. Uh, and a bunch of other little bits as well. But first things first, I need to say that this episode of The Saint Skinny is sponsored by the Hippodrome Silent Film Festival. Woo. Hey. Hey. So uh, They did not pay us for that. (laughs) They did pay us for the woo, but they're getting that for free. Uh, So HipFest recently launched the programme for its 2023 edition, and it's full to the brim with a world-class silent film, all scored by live musicians. Uh, It takes place from the 22nd to the 26th of March at the Hippodrome, which is Scotland's first purpose-built cinema, uh, in Bowness. It kicks off with uh, The Blue Birds, which is a kind of like 1920s fantasy uh, which is going to be accompanied by a performance from the Glasgow-based ensemble Sonic Bothy. Uh, this year, HipFest has like an all-inclusive festival pass that you can get that like covers everything, which is really good because there's loads of stuff in the programme. And there's also British Sign Language provision for all the kind of talks and uh, screenings in the programme. If you want to find out more about it, you can visit hipfest.co.uk. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about HipFest towards the end of the episode, but thank you to the Hippodrome Silent Film Festival for sponsoring The Cine Skinny. Thanks. Thanks lads. <laughs> Silent Cinema was great. <laughs> it is, actually. I know. It did uh, prompt a discussion in the office today where Jamie realised where the origin of the word movies comes from. <laughs> so thanks, yeah. HipFest, for that. Yeah, he got yeah. the lead-in from the concept of the talkies, and he really ran with it. <laughs> he was like, oh, is it because they move? Yes, Jamie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's fine. The film editor didn't know the origin of the the word movies. We've all got blind spots, what can I say? Um, So yeah, so before we move on to talking about things uh, that I have just discussed, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. And in some cases, we're going to be talking about the way that people have been watching things. Because (laughs) Anaheat got a very uh, shiny new piece of kit. I did. I mean, it really isn't that shiny or good. It literally cost £50. But it's like a tiny little projector... Um, and I spent the whole of the weekend stripping wallpaper from a wall. And now there's like a little projector thing that like projects onto the wall in front of my bed. So I just like sit in bed and I watch things, which is really nice. It's really nice. My uh, next door neighbor does hate me like a lot. And this is through the shared bedroom wall. So he may shut down this like whole thing <laughs> very soon but until then i've been watching uh like a lot of Shit's creek and like seeing like david and patrick like fall in love but they're really big so the love is really big it's really nice <laughs> you, you could just buy some like bluetooth like headphones and then that would solve I the problem headphones. I don't so, know so, so, what, so what's the problem them. well i don't like watching films with headphones in. all right i think it is my right to have the sound fill the room i mean that's yeah. fair yeah it is my right to start my own very very small private cinema yeah <laughs> yeah, go for it. In a shed building. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should open it up because, like, Edward doesn't have a cinema anymore. You could be, like, the, <gasps> the only true. place in town. Yeah, maybe I should invite him. Maybe then he would like me. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see how this goes. But anyway, so I've been doing that. I did actually also go to the real cinema, the other cinema in town, um, and I watched Piss and Boots, which I thought was kind of stupid, to be honest. Like, people have been really being like, oh my God, it's a new Spider Verse. 
And I am wondering have if everyone it? has lost their minds. Yes, they have. Oh, like, genuinely, they have. It is not. I can't tell if that's just residual meme power from the Shrek franchise. No, or I think people, people are, being are serious. Genuinely. Like they're really, really serious, and it's just not like that at all. And also, on a like more personal note, my whole sexual awakening was like based in like. Antonio Bandras in The Mask of Zorro. So then for him to be like a weird little cat, but the same character is just like really weird for me <laughs> personally. <laughs> so I didn't love it, but I did go to the cinema. So it's been an up and down week. It truly has. <laughs> Excellent. Jamie, what have you been watching? I gather it's something that you also saw on the big screen, capital T, capital B, capital S. Yes, the movies. you can't see this film anywhere else. I saw Avatar The Way of Water at last. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I actually didn't like the first Avatar very much. I thought it was stupid and boring and overrated and annoyed me that it was the biggest film of all time. And I was kind of annoyed that James Cameron was making these films. Like, what are you doing? But I get it now. I get it. Because I love this so much. <laughs> I had such a fun time. I. It's one of these films like, as soon as you leave the cinema, you're picking apart how stupid it is. But while you're, and actually while you're watching it, you can see it's, it's stupid as well. There's a whole section where Kate Winslet's character is like talking to a whale about how much she's proud of her like IVF treatment or something like that. It's always <laughs> that, like, honestly, it's like, it's, it's insane. But anyway, but that's essentially a plot line. I'm, I'm serious. But my God, James Cameron knows how to make a movie. He made, like how exciting to see like action scenes that are actually literally have you on the edge of your seat it's like so much fun very funny i loved all the whale stuff i want to i want to be pals with a whale you know the whales are nice yeah um really good it is actually like a fun time because yeah. i also did not like the first one and then you go to this one it's just like it's like a movie that happens to you you know that you just sit back and it's fun it's just a fun time like you have these kids calling each other bro all the time and they have their like silly little tails it's like so dumb but like in a good way. And there's a whole section which is basically Titanic, you know, like the, yeah, the, like he's not even pretending. I know he's just like I'm going to pay homage to Titanic and to make me. a whole section <laughs> about a sinking ship. It's great. <laughs> a fun film that's good that'll never catch on. <laughs> um, yeah, I was a bit confused when a uh, um, Jermaine Clement turned up though. That was very jarring. Yeah, that was. Like good. nobody warned me about that. It's just like he just turns up as like a very small character, just like. You know, a marine biologist is just hanging about on Pandora. Must have got paid so much though. Probably. Like surely, because otherwise it's just why? Why is he doing that? Just for a laugh, probably. Yeah, yeah maybe. But it's not like a funny role. No, <laughs> no it's weird. Um, <laughs> but I would say if you're gonna, if you have any intention of seeing this, see it big. It was, yeah. It, yeah, it's a fun time. Good stuff. Um, I finally, finally, finally watched the Banshees of Inisherin. Congratulations. What it's, did you think? I thought it's very sad. But very well made. Talk to your boys. Look out for Barry. <laughs> um, and I also got to the end of War and Peace. Big up Paul Dano and Jack Lydon. The lads got it in the end. <laughs> Hanging out in the countryside. You he he, he, he learned so much from that guy with the dog. Spoiler for a book that came out about 200 years ago. Which guy with the dog? So Paul Dano goes, gets taken to prison and he meets this prisoner who has a dog. Okay. And he tells him that it's going to be all right. <laughs> he doesn't tell him that literally, but... <laughs> It turns out it is all right. So, you know, there you go. The big man, at it again. <laughs> By that, do you mean Tolstoy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean Tolstoy and Paul Dayton. Okay. All the lads doing good work. Probably a good place to cut there. Yeah. Broker. This is the new film from the Japanese director Hirokazu Koreada, who directed Shoplifters and Like Father, Like Son and a bunch of other films as well. And it's his first film made in Korea. 
Uh, it stars Song Kang-ho from Parasite and Snowpiercer and various Park Chan-wook projects. Uh, Lee Ji-eun, who is, it turns out, a massive K-pop star. IU. I did not know this. And when I looked up her Wikipedia page, apparently Billboard had her, like, one of her songs as the best K-pop song of the 2010s. Yeah. So, shows what I know. Uh, <laughs> Bae Duna, who was in The Host, Gang Dong Won, and a bunch of other great Korean actors. So the plot is that Moon Soo Young is a young woman who gives up her baby at a kind of baby leaving box at a church and that baby ends up in the hands of a couple of guys running an illicit baby selling business. Uh, the mother ends up reconnecting with the two guys and the baby and soon they're ending off on this road trip. The police aren't far behind, some gangsters aren't far behind them and uh, it's one of these films where, Jamie, you put it on paper like that and it sounds like one film, but then you watch it and it's actually something completely different. Yeah, it's kind of unusual. I've, I actually just feel like an idiot about this film because, and I do this happens to me every year with one film at Cannes, like, I just assume it's bad because for some reason I had in my head this was like a subpar Corrida film. Like, I'd heard, heard a few bad things. I saw the Guardian review was like, slammed it. Um... I hadn't really seen any press material about the film either. Like the studio releasing it haven't done a great job, I think, of advertising it. And it kind of landed on the schedule really late as well. So we didn't actually get to review it for the skinny. So yeah, I just assumed it was like a dog, basically. But it's an absolute delight. Why did I <laughs> Why did I doubt Corrida? He's been like making great films for 25 years. What, what an idiot. I feel like such a fool. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, like, what? what yeah, and anyway. we got it all on tape. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is, this is a really, it's like basically a road movie, but it's also a cop movie. It's also a gangster film, but it doesn't play with any of those kind of genre rules. It just bobs along its own kind of shaggy rhythms. And I guess what I love about Kareda so much is he never judges his characters despite their flaws. So you have this collection of misfits um you know two guys who are basically trying to sell a kid you've got the woman who left the kids in the cold to die you've got a, a, a little kid tagging along who's basically as as funny as the little kid from uh, hit the road you know I, I got very much hit, hit the road vibes but yeah so you've got this kind of gang of people um but yeah he just sort of he, he just lets you sit in their shoes and you know there's no sort of judgment at all and i think when you hang around with these people you can't help but like them you, you know you realize that people are flawed and they make the wrong decisions and the world around them causes them to do certain things so in a, i think in another movie we might have been following the cop characters who are hunting these people down you know that might be in this the story but really he spends the time with these these people who are are kind of trying to sell this baby and and i really appreciated that so yeah essentially it's just a really great road movie with like like very funny scenes, you know. Despite the, you know, the 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 premise is horrific. The the, the idea that like um, young women are sort of giving away their baby because they they can't support it, and then these men are just gonna abduct it and, and then sell it to the highest bidder is a horrible idea. But yeah, it's just a it's just a lovely story, and it's carrying on a lot of Corrida's ideas. You know, a lot of his films are about the idea. You know, it's challenging the idea that blood is thicker than water. You know, like a lot of his films are about actually you don't have to be biologically connected to someone to love them. You know, so like like Father Like Son is about like a father um, who discovers that the son he's got was a, was a mix up at, at the hospital. You know, and like he has the choice: do I take my biological son or do I take keep the son that I've raised for five years you know uh, and then his previous film Shoplifters was about this family that turned out to be just a, a, a collection of people who have formed their own family so yeah I love that idea it's, it's something that he seems to go back to again and again Nobody Knows was about um, 
a bunch of kids who all have di- different fathers and they had to like band together when their mum banded them. It, it's something he's, he's really interested in, and and I, I'm very happy for him just to keep making this same film over and over again. I would I'm going to watch it because uh, yeah, he just doesn't miss. Yeah, there are massive similarities I think between this film and Shoplifters and. Coriada has described them in interviews as their like companion pieces to one another. But he is amazing and I hate at these like humanistic portrayals of characters that sound on paper like they'd be absolutely terrible shitbags. Yeah, this is the thing. Like I watched this with my best friend last night. I was trying to explain the premise of the film to her and I was like, yeah, it's like about like these people that sell babies, but like it's it's really heartwarming. And she was like, What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but it's, it sounds genuinely insane, but like it genuinely is, so not even heartwarming, but just like sweet, just like considered and kind and like warm and yeah, like you say, deeply humanistic. Um, I found that it took like maybe a little bit of a while to get going. And there are times where like what's happening is almost so gentle that you don't realize what's happening. And so I had to like rewind a couple of times to be like, wait, but why, what is this? And it's just that you missed it because it happens just in such a kind of almost like frictionless way but not in a way where things don't matter, but the way that he conveys it is just so soft. But yeah, it's just a very magical film in how it like slowly builds out these characters, the little glimpses that you get of like people's secret, like quiet hurts and traumas and backstories and how they like try and build something better from that, even though that exists. I thought it was also really interesting on the relationship between kind of bodies and labor and capitalism. So you obviously have like this kind of selling of children, which is like child trafficking, right? Um, But then you also have like this kind of crime dimension of it where they're like these detectives are following them and then they're at a crime scene where there's been a murdered body. You have like this kind of subplot of sex work. There's like this thing about like how bodies are kind of bound up in capitalism and at the same time, the ways that people like try and carve out like care and tenderness amidst that and not outside of it because it's impossible to be outside of it and I thought that was like really beautifully done and I think in that way quite similar to Shoplifters. The fav- my favourite bit of course being me is like the relationship between Dong Su who's one of the child traffickers which just sounds so mean one of the brokers he's one of the brokers um, and then So Young who's like the mother and it's like deeply romantic in this like very quiet very like yearning way but you're just like now kiss it's just like really lovely um maybe want to put my head in a pillow and scream it was just nice just felt very like oh my god i love you both so yeah it also like carves out moments like that that don't feel hokey it doesn't feel like love story subplot like it's just a very genuine different forms of connection between people that feel so charged um i really like that yeah, that scene where they're in a... Uh, it's probably my favourite scene of the year. In it's the like Ferris In the Ferris wheel, Definitely. I was bawling. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. it's this guy yeah. who was brought up in care, who was like a, essentially abandoned like, by his mother, who's, who's with a woman who's abandoned her son. Uh, and it's like romantic because he loves her, but also he sees, oh, that's exactly my mum's situation as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like a kind of weird sort of Freudian thing. It's like, it was so beautiful and yeah, so tender. stunning. Yeah. Yeah, I just really liked it. I Yeah, I love Crater a lot. I think he just makes these films. And like you say, they're kind of the same, but also they're not in a lot of ways. Like no. Our Little Sister is obviously like within an actual family. 
And I think the ways that he's thinking about fam- found families aren't always the same. Sometimes but the, it is. But is it not like a, it's a half sister, isn't it? One of them's not, a half sister, yeah, 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 exactly. And then she gets like brought in, she's quite a bit younger. But that's, yeah, exactly. He's thinking about found family in all kinds of ways. So there's like the collection of misfits, but then there is also within like almost estranged families. How do you kind of, and he's just interested in how do people like come together? And I think that's so nice. One thing that disappointed me, there wasn't enough food scenes. I feel like his films <laughs> are great because there's always amazing food scenes. Yeah. And there's a couple of scenes where like the, the cops are having like ramen and like boiled eggs in the car, but that didn't satisfy me. I, I really want to see people <laughs> chowing down in a karate film. I think that's like a key a key aspect. So that is one my one flaw. There should be like a big banquet scene or something. <laughs> you should tell him. Yeah. And there is also like, it's it's an interesting film because it's very kind of yeah like there's a lot of rom- romance to it and it does have a kind of political edge to it it's also like really funny in parts mm-hmm. and funny in that kind of mundane detail way like the van that they're on their kind of fugitive road trip in the back door just keeps blowing itself open and this is like both a plot point and a running gag yeah that like their car is a piece of shit and there's also that kind of constant running gag where like everyone that sees the little baby is like Oh, he doesn't have like good eyebrows, does he? <laughs> like, leave him alone. No. He has great eyebrows. He's such a cute kid. Um, but like everyone that picks him up is like, oh, shame about the eyebrows. <laughs> uh, the the cast are great, and the yeah, oh the God. baby is hilarious. But uh, Hai Jin, who's played by Im Sung So, who's the second kid they kind of pick up along the way, is absolutely amazing. Yeah, um, just really funny, really cheeky, and that kind of child performance where the direction I feel is cause as much havoc as you can for your adult co-stars and yeah. I gotta say 10 out of 10 good man <laughs> yeah yeah I'm loving Song Kang Ho's having like this like moment because you know obviously he did all those Hong Jin Ho films he's amazing in those but like I love that he's like he's finding other avenues to like show how great he is you know yeah and I tell you what he's a fucking dab hand with a sewing machine as well he doesn't need a stunt man for that. <laughs> yeah. I also love Donna, like uh, from like um From Sensate. Sensate and Cl- yeah. like Clyde Atlas and stuff. She's like she's like the grizzled cop, the cynical cop who like heart melts. Like yeah, yeah. Cause she's basically us, like she's like, Oh these guys are rotters and then oh my god, I'll, I'll love them so much. <laughs> So Broker is out in cinemas from the 24th of February. There is an advanced like preview screening at the Cameo in Edinburgh on the 21st, which has a pre-recorded Q&A with Hirokazu Koreada. So if you want to see it early, 21st February, but it's out in cinemas from the 24th. Broker, go and check it out. Right, now we were gonna review Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, the stop-motion animation mockumentary about the shell with Shoes On. But uh, due to various technical snafus, uh, we were unable to do so. So, <laughs> and he just moved her laptop. Whether or not it got picked up on the mic, we paused anyway. Um, so, in honor of Marcel the Shell, and also kind of because of the new documentary subject, which is a documentary about the process of making documentaries, we thought we'd have a chat about mockumentaries. Uh, so, there are obviously many, many, many variations on the concept whether they're like fourth wall breaking or straight down the line, whether they're extremely serious or incredibly silly. Turns out there's as many ways to take the piss out of a documentary as there is to make one in the first place, but the key things are always the same. It's a style film that looks at the structures, style and function of documentary filmmaking, and then you go home and make a pretend version yourself in your house. So uh, we've each gone away in classic This Any Skinny fashion, had to think about mockumentaries that cover different aspects of this and Jamie, 
wanted to talk about what may be one of the first mockumentaries, one of the originators of the concept, Go. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not exactly sure if this is correct, but I think Peter Watkins' Culloden from 1964 might be the first example of a mockumentary. Please write in if I'm wrong. Uh, it's not as if it's not the first time. Um, but yeah, um, so Culloden is amazing. It's like it was made for the BBC. It's like maybe an hour or 50 minute long um, uh, in the mid 60s. And it imagines like a documentary crew have just landed at the Battle of Culloden. Which which was the kind of ja uh, the Jacobite uh, uprising? It was kind of the last hurrah where the Scots were absolutely annihilated by the English. It was like 1745, so obviously 150 years before like a camera crew could ever record this. They all interact with the camera crew as if it's completely normal. So it's got that kind of surreal quality. You know, it's like of traveling back in time, and that's something that actually doesn't happen very often. I can't think of many mockumentary films set in the past. So I think it's actually weird that the first one is set before like documentaries even existed, which is interesting. And you obviously get this this very kind of cheery um, interviewer who's like, he's very kind of BBC style. How are you going lads? How's it going? You know, like that, he's got, and, but then you get these kind of like totally broken Scots who have been like fighting. They've just fought in Falkirk and now they're up in um, like the Highlands fighting this this war and they're like bloodied and bruised. And then you've got the, the English and you've got the French who've came in to like help the Scots. And it's, it's a real kind of like, it's a really good history lesson, actually, if you don't know about the um, this this battle. Um, but it's also just shows how bloody it is. It's a really kind of shocking film, and it's something Peter Watkins would continue to do. He used used similar techniques. Um, so the war game, like a is like a is a fake, again a fake documentary, which made a few years later, imagining what would happen um, if a bomb just went off. Uh, like a nuclear bomb and it sort of follows the aftermath of that. Um, he also did Punishment Park, which I haven't seen, but I believe that's again a kind of found footage film imagining the Nixon era beyond um, uh, the Vietnam War and like how it becomes like a, like America becomes a fascist state, I believe, is, is, is the kind of plot line. So he's a really interesting filmmaker and he sort of pioneered this kind of technique before people like Woody Allen and sort of Rob Ryder and all these people like became famous for it. So yeah, I thought it'd be worth mentioning like how good that is and it's, it's, it's really worth checking out, so. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the thing about mockumentary is that there are kind of, there's sort of two different things going on a lot of the time. It's like, you've got the product and then the production. It's like, is your mockumentary a satire of like the finished documentary or of the process of making a documentary? And the person I want to talk about uh, if you've ever listened to this podcast before, ever met me in person, you'll know that I love Christopher Guest, the <laughs> literal baron of the mockumentary format, the grumpiest man in uh, film, and also uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's husband. In terms of thinking about, like, what are we kind of satirizing with a mockumentary, two films I want to talk about. First one is Best in Show, which is this thing of a satire of a finished documentary. So this is a documentary about the contestants in a kind of cruft style dog show. You've got all the kind of weird characters that are that you would get in a situation like that. So you've got a suburban couple, she's a shagger, he literally has two left feet. They are played by <laughs> Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. There's a <laughs> professional dog trainer and the hair the like heiress who hired her and they have a kind of slightly weird, slightly romantic relationship. They're Jane Lynch and Jennifer Coolidge. You have a man who owns a fishing shop has an enormous bloodhound and a secret penchant for ventriloquism. That's Christopher Guest. And I think the thing about Christopher Guest's stuff is he doesn't like the term mockumentary because he is a bit of a grump, but also because 
he wants the films to be about these like weird kind of like insular communities and try to look take a look at them so he doesn't want people think to think he's mocking and these are all weird guys that have like redeeming qualities and endearing sides to them but the interesting thing about this is actually produced a lot like a documentary and there isn't really a script for it uh, Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy they write like character and scene outlines and then the actors improvise all the dialogue so you get this kind of like naturalistic style that you would get if you were just interviewing somebody even with characters who have two left feet or someone who packs like four silk kimonos for a 24 hour overnight stay um, so that's your first one and then quickly a second one this is Spinal Tap falls into the category of a film that is basically concerned with the process of making a documentary this is one's directed by Rob Reiner has Christopher Guest and a bunch of other people in it it's about a fictional English heavy metal band on an ill-fated tour of America but in this one the director and crew are like a key part of the story and of the dynamics basically Rob Reiner plays this di director who is a bit of a star fucker but who's gradually realising that his documentary is going to be a mess because the people he's working with are idiots and it's impossible to hide it. So he's like, I really like this band. Turns out they're all clowns. Nothing is going right and this is a complete mess. And the story he thinks he's telling keeps changing over time, but it's a similar thing. Loads of improvised dialogue, really well performed, loads of stupid gags about tiny Stonehenge monuments and people writing incredibly abusive reviews of your shit albums. Very, very good fun. A lovely time. I realise I've been talking non-stop for about three <laughs> minutes and I hate please help. <laughs> well, I would like to talk about a film that I think is like a direct legacy, I suppose, of This Is Spinal Tap, which is The Lonely Island's pop star, never stop, never stopping, <laughs> film of the century. I so almost genuinely put this in my sight and sound, greatest films of all time, Paul. Why didn't you? Come on. Well... It just because 10 films is not that much and then you do feel a bit like there are other films but like read like genuinely I do think it belongs in there next time next time in 10 years time I am putting it in there I genuinely think it is one of the greatest films ever made one of the greatest documentaries ever made it follows the adventures of Andy Samberg who is so hot he's I love Andy Samberg so much Andy Samberg's Connor Freel Connor for real <laughs> which is just funny, um, who is a kind of Justin Bieber level kind of star. He used to be part of this boy band with the rest of the Lonely Island gang, is now estranged from one of them. The other one is just like, does like the little DJing during his sets and is being completely neglected. And he's like going on this tour. He is a dumb bitch, but in like the sweetest possible way. And it is just a genuinely perfect satire in that it is so sharp and so merciless, but it's also a deeply kind film. Um, so there's this kind of one set piece towards the beginning, um, and obviously being The Lonely Island, there's like a million cameos from Who's Your Man? Adam Levine and like Justin Timberlake and all of like those classics. And then also a lot of really, really good music. And there's this one like takedown they do essentially of that kind of Macklemore like same love era where Connor like sings a song about like it's okay to be gay and then every like few seconds he's like but I'm not gay <laughs> just on loop and I think that like says more about like the music culture of the 2010s than any music journalism ever has like it's so so incisive and so clever but it's also like a really perfect study of like vulnerability and masculinity and that like Connor is clearly 
you know, lost, he's not well, he misses his friends, he's being exploited by this industry. He is also the himboist of himbos and so can barely look after himself. His best friend is like a little turtle that he has and then the turtle gets sick. And it's just like a really, he's just sweet, but also so stupid. <laughs> and it's like a very good film at kind of peeling back the layers of like what it does to these stars to kind of be let loose in this like enormous hall of fame and like the damage it does them, but also just how ridiculous they're being at the same time. And it balances those two really well. The jokes in it are amazing. There is this amazing joke about like lupus and the singer seal that is so niche and so fucking stupid and genuine one of the best jokes ever made. And you think like, why did you, you didn't have to make that joke? But they did, they got 20 wolves <laughs> and they made like this elaborate joke that I genuinely, like who is gonna understand, like who is that, the audience for that joke? But they did it and I just love it. I love this film so much, so, so much. Like perfect comedy, like impeccable. Oh my God, yeah. And one of the things about a mockumentary is that they work best when the sub, the kind of mock subjects are actually at the level that they would be covered by a documentary film crew. Yeah. Like the song, I haven't seen Popstar Never Stop, but I have heard the songs yes. and the songs are really good. <laughs> and it's like this with like, this is Spinal Tap. The, the reason that it works is because actually the band are all right. Like you can imagine that they would have been big at one point in the past. Yeah. And like, there's so much of that that like, I think where sometimes these kind of films fall down is that actually the people that they're ostensibly covering aren't all that. Whereas yes. if you can write a character and create a thing where like, this person is actually great, even if they are a figure of fun, that's where the good, much like the soldiers at Culloden. <laughs> a++ for the boys. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, I actually find it really hard to come up with a list because if you go into it, actually a lot of mockumentaries are bad because I think, if anything, the success of something like Spinal Tap is a problem because it's like, what what it does is it takes a documentary form, which is actually a very cheap and expensive form of production. You know, you've you've got like a like a, you know, a you, cheap you, inexpensive. I said said cheap and no expensive. no so <laughs> yeah cheap. Well, I don't know why I say uh, that's uh, why I have to say cheap at the meaning no, the same no, thing. No, no, you know what I mean? No, it's like it's like cheap meaning it doesn't cost that much. Yeah yeah. So like um, low cost. Yeah so so you know what I mean so so it's like. The, a documentary is cheap because it doesn't in, in involve complex camera setup. It doesn't involve a big crew. So a lot of people copy this idea because it's easy to do. It's like very inexpensive, but you know, you can make a great film out of it. So like, I, I like when somebody like Spinal Tap, uh, like Rob Ryder, he did something really original, but I feel like a lot of people just copied that idea again and again. And I think it's, uh, they can be a little bit cynical, you know, like, so the, the, there are a lot that, a lot. It's, it's happened with the film footage films as well. Like after mm -hmm. after Blair Witch, you got a whole succession of films that just copied that idea because it's a cheap way of making a film. Yeah. You know, we accept that it looks bad because it's a documentary or because it's film footage. But yeah, it seems to me a bit cynical. And I think like the good ones uh, kind of go beyond that, right? And yeah. that they're not just using the format to like make fun of the subject, but they're using it to query like the format itself. And I think what pops down never stop never stopping does is it's also like a satire of the kind of Justin Bieber documentary format that you would like follow these like fucking children backstage and kind of chart this decline and that kind of desire that the audience has to kind of consume someone's downfall and so it's like satirizing that as well as just like the music industry and like the subject of like a pop star who is like 
so so stupid <laughs> <laughs> and so like you know defenseless um and i think yeah like the culloden one also i haven't seen it but by the sounds of it it's doing something similar and it's like about the subject matter but it's also about that kind of like bbc documentary and that kind of class dynamic of the bbc often like inserting themselves well, into yeah something, well, right? so, well so you see it like with the ukraine war you know like mm, the mm-hmm. bbc reporters love to be seen on on the on the battlefield you know and it's like yeah. and we know this is probably set up this is they're not really putting themselves in this danger in this kind of situation but is that, is that kind of like yeah it's like a cliche of like reporting we can't just report on what's happening they we have, have to have, have someone best. there you yeah. know you have to you have to heal the, the gunshots in the background mm-hmm. and that was like a kind of parody of that you know years before that became yeah. the standard kind of um, way we we consume media now yeah because the thing about these kind of films is that it might be cheap to make but they only really work if the writing is very strong and that's mm-hmm. one of the things about best in show is that it is effectively just like a you could watch it as a straight down the line documentary following a group of people taking their purebred dogs to a dog show until Jennifer Coolidge starts saying things like we've about her geriatric husband we've got so much in common we both love soup and then the scene <laughs> just ends like I think and one of the things about about this kind of film is that it might be cheap to produce but it's so much work because the best the way you get good material out of any situation such as the one here is you have to give it enough time for interesting things to happen and that's why i really enjoy reading about and find that about the kind of like christopher guest eugene levy catherine o'hara parker posey jennifer coolidge like mega-headed hydra just spending hours and hours and hours and hours recording like dialogue because they know that eventually if you get deep enough into the character it does become a documentary it's just that everyone involved has become has gone so deep from being eugene levy they're now the character that eugene levy is playing with his cool hat and his <laughs> tiny little terrier great fun yeah i think i think yeah, i think i think the key you're right the key is when it understands the form like i think a really good good example is it's not exactly the same thing but like something like the larry sanders show is almost like a documentary it's, you know it's like it's like a fake tv show um and it's like it gets the the uh the kind of like you know the kind of like uh supercilious nature of uh like talk show host the kind of like fake chumminess of it it does that really well i was also thinking of uh one of the best tv shows of the last few years was uh, american vandal which was a perfect sort of parody of the kind of like the making of a murderer style netflix documentary so it's when it when it understands i think i think to do these well you have to really understand the form mm. you know it's not just a, a matter of like oh we're gonna like do like film footage you have to like understand the kind of language of the media you know and that, i think that's why like christopher guest gets it so well because he obviously understood uh you know he understands these kind of dog show style documents <laughs> you can totally imagine that these exist you know or like spinal tap is perfectly um a perfect parody of you know any number of you know queen or anyone like that mm. so yeah um, and I think the other thing about American Vandal is it sort of proves the point because the first series is basically a parody of a Netflix style procedural documentary but then the second series is effectively a show about what happens when you make a successful Netflix procedural crime documentary and it adds this whole extra layer that the characters who have created the documentary are now being like followed by and they're like their work is being interrogated at the same time that they're investigating a new case as documentarians it's all very meta it's exactly the kind of shit i love which is why we've ended up talking about (laughs) it (laughs) 
give me access to the war dock and anything might happen. So, <laughs> Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which started this all off, is out on the 17th of February. Subject, the documentary about documentaries, is on like a UK tour and that's on at the Cameo in Edinburgh on the 18th and the GFT on the 19th. Um, I think the filmmakers are like doing the tour as well, so there'll be like a QA and a if you want to ask them questions about this podcast. Um, <laughs> Best in Show and This Is Spinal Tap aren't on streaming, so you'll just have to find the DVDs in a charity shop or like bump into me in the street. Culloden <laughs> is on YouTube, you can watch the whole thing. And Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping is on Now TV slash Sky Cinema, so you can stream that at your leisure. Watch yeah, it. Baby. It's very good, I need to watch it. That's on the list. You would love it. I'm sure I would. Really I really would. like The Lonely Island. Yeah, yeah. All their stuff with T-Pain is just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good bunch of lads. Two thumbs up for The Lonely, Lonely Island. Okay, and just a bit of time to talk about things that we're looking forward to in the section we've called What We're Looking Forward To. <laughs> Um, one thing we're all looking forward to actually is we've teamed up again with Mubi for the return, the triumphant return of the Cine Skinny Film Club. This is going to be free screenings in Edinburgh and Glasgow throughout 2023. And the first thing we've got coming up is two screenings of Close, which is Lucas Daunt's uh, Cannes award winning new film. Screenings are on the 21st of February at Summer Hall and the 23rd at CCA. They are both currently full. But keep an eye on social media, etc., for any more tickets we can squeeze out of the rooms. Uh, if you sign up to the Skinny newsletter at skinny.co.uk or just follow us on socials, more films to come, details, TBC, all good, a lovely time. Um, Jamie, have you got anything that you're looking forward to? Well, I mean, this is not just to kiss Hipfest's ass, but I also... I'm looking forward to HitFest because the program <laughs> just came out and I thought I would just flag a few things I'm looking forward to personally. Because uh, HitFest, if you don't know, have been doing the Lord's work for the last decade, unearthing kind of silent films from all over the world. And what they do is they just take these old films, they present them with like new life scores. So, you know, it's like, uh, usually it's maybe you'll have like a guy on the piano, but they can also get bands along as well. So, so they say they, they, they kind of make a kind of live event. And I guess part of the reason I would say she goes. Also, Bowness is so interesting. Uh, well, sorry, the Hippodrome where it's set is, is uh, where it takes place is so interesting. It's Scotland's oldest purpose-built cinema. So it opened in 1912. So essentially, it, um, it was playing all these films originally that, that the Hipfest now show. Um, so there's something lovely about watching these gems from the silent era in a beautiful cinema that you know was a heart at the heart of the silent era. So yeah, um, if you don't no silent film. I mean, I think the problem with silent film is quite often we just see the comedies played again and again. So like you get, you, you, there's plenty of opportunity to see like Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton. But what I love about um, Hitfest is they show all sorts of stuff, you know? So like, for example, the opening film, uh, The Bluebird, is this kind of crazy fantasy about uh, a bunch of kids who um, like meet a fairy at Christmas. So it's like a kid's film, but it's like really beautiful. Um, it's got a, it's going to have this score with the Sonic Bothy, who are this kind of ensemble of um, just sort of amateur music, uh, musicians who are going to you know should be a fun time. Um, I'm also looking forward to In Spring, which I've heard is fantastic. I haven't seen it yet, but it's like this kind of uh, it's like a city symphony, a kind of love letter to Kiev, and then they're going to bring over two uh, musicians from the Ukraine, um, and it's going to be yeah, that's going to be really interesting. A kind of like show of solidarity with Ukraine, which are obviously going through this terrible war right now, but you know, it's also a beautiful film. 
Uh, and I would say if you're into horror, they do horror real well because they're going to be showing the man who the man who laughs, which is from Paul Levy, who's one of my favourite kind of filmmakers from this era. He makes really kind of expressionistic, kind of really kind of beautifully visual horror films. Um, he's probably most famous for um, the Cat and the Canary, which uh, I saw at Hit Fest a few years ago. Um, but this is a Victor Hugo adaptation about a kid who's kidnapped and mutilated. So it's like a horrible story. And this kid like uh, grows up to become, this, to have this kind of hideous rictus grin. Um, and he's like the inspiration for the Joker. So like, oh. so this is like the film that kind of brought about that idea. So it says it's a cult film because of that. Um, but I know the, the filmmaker is amazing. So it's uh, really worth seeing. So that, that's a few that kind of caught my eye, but there's lots in there. So Yeah. And there is also some Laurel and Hardy. So if you yeah. do genuinely like silent comedy, you're also sorted. They've got ev- they've thought of everything. I did also like your catch where you said Boness was really interesting and then corrected yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I've said, I mean, Boness is lovely. It's by the sea, you know, it's like, it's cool. But like, uh, what I mean is like um, the Hippodrome is, like yeah. is a really cool cinema. And, and, it's, it, and the story of it as well. Yeah. It's like you're not going to have another experience like that, certainly in Scotland. Yeah, and if you're into cool cinemas, yeah. go along. And who listening to this podcast isn't? Um, Anahi, what are you looking forward to? Um, what am I looking forward to? So GFT are doing a screening of Pride, which is free for the people with the, is it like the young person yeah, It's like card. the 15 to 25 year old GFT card, which if you're listening to this and you're eligible for one, get it because yeah. they do things like this all the time. And then you get to go and see it for free, which is... I still am not really over not being young enough to get these things. You know, when you sign up for something and it's like, oh yeah, I'll do it on the right Oh, path. after a while, you've got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> it's like really upsetting. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, you should go and see Pride. I can't remember what day it is. Um, it is have you written the it 21st of February, it's the Tuesday. 21st of February. Tuesday. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, also at the GFT, there is a screening, kind of encore screening of Decision to Leave, which was one of our favourite films from 2022 with a, again, pre-recorded Park Chan-wook Q&A. That is on the 18th of February, which, if my maths are correct, is the Saturday. Is that right? Yeah. Tuesday's the 21st? Yeah. 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 Park Chan-wook Q&A with decision to leave at the GFT on Saturday the 18th of February. Cute. Nailed it. Second time. Yep, Just as good baby. as the first. Um, and I think, with that, is that everything for us for today? I think so. Do we think? I think so. It just remains for me to say thanks, lads. Thank you, Jamie. Just Peter. Thanks, Anna Heat. Thank you. We'll be back in two weeks. Lewis, get well soon. Uh, Josh, thanks for all your help. Uploadstudios.co.uk. If you do want to try and get some of those tickets for those close screenings, then just follow us on social media at The Skinny Mag. Um, and yeah, get us on the email at cineskinny uh, at theskinny.co.uk. And we'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.